May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's a nice little saying, isn't it? So today is a day of celebration, a day when we give thanks for mothers, but we also remember on this day that there are many for whom this day is a hard day uh, for all sorts of reasons, and we keep them in our prayers as well. It is also, maybe, a day when we can consider God as our mother and what that might mean for us. And so to help us do that, I want to spend a moment or two looking at Julian of Norwich, so to get us going, get you warmed up, I want you to turn to your neighbour and share everything you know about Julian of Norwich, which for some of you might not be much, although some of you are around when I've talked about her in the past, and others, well, you could probably talk for an hour or two. No. Well, I hope you know a few things, some clues. Who'd like to share? So she got sick, 
She got better. She wrote down those revelations. So that was the first version. And then she spent many years praying on those, meditating on those. And she wrote a second version of the divine revelations. And that was the second volume where she reflected on that. So a lot of her quotes come out of that. Uh, And she is a saint for our time in many ways. Because she lived in very turbulent times. Uh, Does anyone know she lived in the 1300s? Anyone know anything about the 1300s in England? What was going on? No, it was before the Wars of the Roses, but it was war. It was the Hundred Years' Wars going on at that point. The end of the 1300s, one of the kings got deposed, Richard II. So it was building up to the War of the Roses. Uh, There were two or three bubonic plagues that swept through England, so that makes COVID-19 look like child's play. Um, There was a peasants' rebellion focused on Norwich, where the leaders at the end were slowly executed in Norwich. And uh, it was also the time where uh, the popes were driven out of Rome and there were two popes for a while. So there was chaos in the church, chaos in the world, chaos in Britain. And in that time, in that time, she had her visions and she gave her advice. And so she is known as one of the great English mystics. So... One of her most well-known saints is the one that Debbie talked about, all shall shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. But she also talked about God as mother. So we sometimes think this stuff about God as mother is a bit newfangled. Although it is in the Bible, Jesus talked about God as mother as well. But she said, and here's some quotes, Just as God is our father, so God is also our mother. It's an invitation to think about on Mother's Day how God as Mother helps us think about our place. It was. At another point she said, As if to say, I am the power and the goodness of the Father. I am the wisdom of the Mother. I am the light and the grace which is blessed blessed love. I am the Trinity. I am the unity. I am the supreme goodness of all kind of things. I am the one who makes you love. I am the one who makes you desire. I am the never-ending fulfillment of all true desire. One of her radical images was of Jesus as our mother. So that was an interesting way of understanding Jesus. God the Father, Jesus our mother, and the Holy Spirit. A couple of other quotes from Julian. Then I then saw with complete certainty that God, before creating us, loved us. And this love never lessened and never will. In this love he accomplished all his works. And in this love he oriented all things to our good. And in this love our life is eternal. And one final quote. She saw God holding a tiny thing in his hand, like a small brown nut. So you can see the small brown nut that she's holding in that icon. Which seemed so fragile and insignificant that she wondered why it did not crumble before her eyes. She understood that the thing was the entire created universe, which is as nothing compared to its creator. And she was told... God made it, God loves it, 
God keeps it. God made it. God loves it. God keeps it. Good words for us in our times of uncertainty. So, God as mother. Well, as I thought about uh, Mother's Day and uh, God as mother, um, I was reminded of John Bowlby and attachment theory. So, John Bowlby was uh, a theorist who, uh, after the Second World War, started to think about uh, the relationship between mothers and children, which was quite an innovative thing. People hadn't really thought about that a lot. Uh, and his theory, attachment theory, is a very significant theory, and I'm very glad that Donald's not here today to critique what I'm about to say, so that's... <laughs> a bit worried about that. <laughs> so um, I was introduced to this uh, when we were doing, when I was doing human development as part of my BA a number of years ago, a long time ago actually, it seems. Uh, so he was particularly interested in the emotional attachments between children between 6 months and 30 months, and their mothers, so he focused on their mothers, uh, and what those attachments then meant for the rest of their lives in terms of their personality development and their emotional relationships and their relationships with all kinds of different people. He noticed that when children were out, for example, with their mothers, that some children were a little bit nervous and they would not leave their mothers. They would constantly keep an eye on their mother and where their mother was and what their mother was doing. And that there were other children in that age group who were very confident about leaving. They would come back and check in, but they didn't have that level of anxiety. They were confident enough to go out and explore the world, whatever that looked like. Uh, that probably caused anxiety for those mothers if they were anything like our children. Uh, and he was very interested in why those differences and then what that meant for later on in life. And so he, he wanted to look at how the kind of emotional attachments that the emotional bonds between mother and child, what caused those bonds to be strong or, or not. Uh, and so he was the one that then started talking about, uh, so not many people have really thought about what, what babies do, but they make all kinds of cooing noises and look cute and everyone goes ooh and ah. And he said, well, that's to elicit a response from people. And uh, that's not just because they're cute. It is so that people will pay attention to them and respond to their needs. And so uh, for the mothers who do respond to those needs and the child can trust that they will respond to those needs, they will, they will form a strong attachment. And the mothers who are not so quick at responding to those needs, the attachment bonds are less strong. And they are the children who have anxiety and will not leave. He then went on to say, um, he, he then talked about the importance of that initial bond and how those bonds, how those attachments contributed to the foundation of later emotional and personality development. So for me, thinking about Mother's Day, that does two things. It kind of helps us think about uh, why we give thanks for mothers and the importance of mothers 
Uh, but it also helps us recognise that actually there are people for whom those bonds weren't, weren't as strongly created for whatever reason. I'm not trying to apportion blame. But, and so for, for a whole lot of people, Mother's Day is not such a good day for all sorts of reasons. And we need to remember that as well in our celebrations. So Bowlby's theory has, um, people still continue to work on this. So when I was uh, doing human development in the uh, mid to late 1990s, uh, we did a lot of reading around of Bowlby's work, but then the people who were working at the same time as him and those who continue to work on his theory and develop it and to apply it into all kinds of different situations today. So as, as it's currently formulated, it stresses that children between 6 months and about 30 months are very likely to form emotional attachments to familiar caregivers. So they've broadened it, dads get in there, as do other caregivers. And especially if the adults are sensitive and responsive to child's communications, which is why he did the work on the kind of things that children uh, do when they're little. Further, his work shows that these relationships the that we form with people like our mothers play an important role in shaping how we relate to others, including future partners, future children, and work colleagues. So these first months have profound influence for how we live our lives for the rest of our lives. So on this Mother's Day, we remember the importance of our own mothers, and we pray for mothers and all familiar caregivers around the world that their relationships with their children may be strong and life-giving. And we pray that we as a church will find ways of supporting mothers and other caregivers and helping them offer this kind of love to their children. And I wonder, as we think about John Bowlby and his work on attachment, how that helps us understand God as mother and our relationship with God as mother. What kind of bonds do we have with God? Are we like those children who trust, who know God as mother, is there for us and are willing to go out? Or are we like those children who are a bit more anxious and not so willing to go so far away? And keep an eye on where God, our mother, might be. It's an interesting question. And I wonder how it helps us explore the image that Jesus has been offering us for the last two weeks of uh, the vine and the branches and fruit. And the invitation to abide or remain in this divine love as branches. So just a reminder that uh, this piece of the gospel that we're reading comes uh, in uh, Jesus' talk in the Last Supper. So he has washed their feet, uh, they've had an initial talk, and then at the end of chapter 14 Jesus says, right, let's go, and at the beginning of chapter 18 they go, and there's three chapters of talking between saying let's go. So it seems to most people that actually those three chapters were inserted by John later. Um, that the Gospels weren't all written in one sitting. They kind of grew over time. And that what we have is where they got to uh, at the end of their lives. So this piece, along with chapter 21, 
were added later. Clearly, chapter 21 was added later as well. So, what was the purpose? Why would he add those chapters? Well, in terms of the storyline, there was a need for more pastoral content. That Jesus was talking to a bunch of disciples who, well, everything was about to change. And everything was about to get very dark. And then even when things get better after the resurrection, things have still changed. Everything is about to change. And so Jesus is offering them pastoral care before it all goes pear-shaped, before it all goes wrong in their eyes. So it's important when we read it to remember that these are pastoral words. Sometimes we read them as uh, judgmental words and all kinds of different ways of reading it. But actually, fundamentally, these are pastoral words said to people who were on the precipice. And so we can read them in our own situation and think, what are these words, what do these words pastorally say to us? And they were added, it is thought, because John's community, so these Gospels weren't written for the wider church. They came out of particular communities and were written for the issues facing those communities. And essentially were saying, what does Jesus' life say to us in this situation? And then we get to apply Jesus' words and Jesus' life in our situation. So in John's situation, he was in a church where it just wasn't working out. They had kind of thought, like Brian Tamaki, for example, that if you were a follower of the true God, that everything would be wonderful. But actually, it hadn't panned out that way. They were being persecuted. There were deep divisions within the community. People were leaving. And it was a very dark place for them. And it was really hard work. And so, John adds these two chapters of pastoral care for his own community so that they can hear Jesus' words to them as they struggle with all the issues that they are struggling with. So what is Jesus in John's Gospel inviting his disciples to do? Well, kind of using a little bit of Attachment theory. Maybe John, maybe Jesus is inviting his disciples to trust that relational attachment, to trust that bond, the bond that they have with God through Jesus. In this case, he uses the image of the vine and the branches. But effectively, they're talking about the same thing, to trust that bond. In everything that Jesus did and said, he lived God's commitment to them and to this world. And he is inviting them to place their trust in this commitment. To know, like those mothers that John Bowlby watched, that God is reliable, is uncompromisingly committed to them and to this world. That God created this world in love and holds them and us and all of creation in love. So in this image of the vine and the branches and in the commandment to love, there is an invitation to remain in, to abide in, to trust in 
God who is love. Kind of same kind of thing that Julian of Norwich was talking about. And to allow that trust to shape how they see themselves, how they relate to God, how they relate to each other, how they relate to those outside their little community, how they relate to all of creation. This trusting in God's uncompromising commitment to them. I think what this passage is suggesting to us is like those little children John Bowlby and others have researched and continue to research. Jesus was inviting us to allow our sense of identity to be shaped by this God of love who is uncompromisingly committed to us and to abide or remain into that. And to allow that to shape how to allow to shape how we live by this abiding. To shape how we live, to allow this love to shape us by trusting in God who is always trustworthy. We can be like those toddlers who trusted and went off to explore, knowing that God, our Mother, is always there for us. So I wonder what this offers, image offers us in our own troubled world. What pastoral image is Jesus giving us in the face of our ongoing COVID pandemic? As we look at human-made climate change continuing to take hold. As we come to church and look around and wonder what the future of the mainline Anglican Church and Presbyterian Church and Methodist Church, all the mainline churches, what is our future? What will it look like? And in all the issues that we face in our lives, what is God offering us this week in this image? So I invite you to have a conversation with your neighbours. What is God offering us, do you think, this week? How do you respond to Julian of Norwich and John Bowlby and Jesus' words around vines and branches? What are you hearing? Have a conversation.